Let's pray. God, that's truly my desire this morning. That we could behold you, that I could behold you. We've gathered in this place this morning together around your word to sing it, to pray it, to hear it, to meditate on it. Trusting, believing that in that, in this this moment, that we can behold you, we can behold your glory. God, we just thank you that you are truly a holy God. Not only you are a holy God, altogether different, altogether separate, but you are a God who dwells with men. So we pray that you would do that this morning. We would sense your presence, not in some way that is just physical only, but Father, a spiritual presence we would sense this morning, that we'd be encouraged, that those who are far from you would be drawn closer to you, that those who are your own would be edified, would be built up and lifted up and encouraged for this week as we go out, as we're sent out to our neighbors and out to the nations to to share the glory that you've given to us with the world. Father, we confess our sin before you this morning, knowing that as you're holy, we are... Or not. So we confess that to you this morning, our, our failures and our shortcomings, knowing that you are just, you're faithful to forgive us of our sins when we ask of you. So we thank you for that truth. God, we thank you for Hagerstown Church, for, for bringing us together, for calling us out from the world, for giving us the gospel. We thank you for that truth. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless us, that you'd bless each and every one of us here, that you would bless us with your presence in a daily way. We pray specifically, not just for this church, but we pray also for the the churches around this area in Hagerstown, in Washington County, in Maryland, that you'd strengthen the church. Just this morning, I specifically think of Virginia Avenue Baptist Church. Father, we pray that right now as they meet, as Pastor Jerry preaches the word, Father, we pray that his church, his people, your body there would be encouraged as well that you would just give them the strength to continue to not just make it through a week, but to be victorious. Father, you've, you've said that of us. We pray that blessing upon Virginia Avenue Baptist Church this morning, that the gospel would be preached clearly and unadulterated, and that your people would be encouraged there, for that you'd give them growth. Father, we pray for the Welches, missionary couple that we're sending to Asia. We pray that you'd bless them as well. Father, specifically we pray for these, this family for protection and for, for provision as they are in the process of uh, buying plane tickets and packing their, their bags and just the few things that they have to go and preach the gospel in Asia. We pray that you would give them provision, that you'd meet every need that they have. We, we trust that you'll do that. We thank you for that truth as well. Father, we pray this morning, I pray over this people as we break open your word, as we look at it, as your word is preached that your church would be strengthened, that it would be edified, that it would be built up, that you'd renew our minds and that we would sense this morning a presence like we've never felt before. We would experience Emmanuel, that God is with us in a way that we won't soon forget. We pray these things. We beg of them in your name. Amen. Church, you can go ahead and have a seat. Again, I just want to welcome you to Hagerstown Church. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, I just want to put a another shameless plug in for um, the F260 reading plan. And so I mentioned just a moment ago that the whole church, the whole body, as we work through 2019, that we'll be reading the F260 plan. If you're wondering what F260 is, it just stands for Foundations 260. I won't give you all the details, but basically you're not reading every day of the week. Many Bible plans do that. Um, it, It encourages you to read five days out of the week. And so it's a little, maybe possibly a little more doable for you. 
Um, and uh, so 260 days out of the year, you're reading the Word of God. And by the end of the year, you've read through the entire, part, the entire Bible. Um, and we're doing that as a body. We think that that's going to be a fantastic journey, of, uh, one that both of growth and of, of just of strengthening us together and giving us unity. And not only will we be going through F260, but again, I'm, I'll be preaching through that. And so with those two things combined, I know that this will be a powerful year for our church, for our body. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. But not just that. Not just F260, the individual reading plan, and not just the corporate gathering of the body here on Sunday mornings, but I also want to point you to D groups. D groups are, uh, are a tool that we use here at Hagerstown Church um, for us to go a little bit deeper into the Word of God. And so as you read the Word of God on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, um, you're thinking through it, you're making applications, drawing that out. What is, what is, what is this scripture teaching me about how I should live my life? What, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to be encouraged in? How do I need to think more uh, properly? Um, but it's best to be doing that not in isolation but in community. And so D groups are three to five guys or three to five girls getting together once a week and just sharing with each other where they're at in their spiritual walk, what the Lord has been showing them and how they're, how they're growing in the Word of God. And so it's a great time. I know personally, as I think about the time that I spend Friday mornings at 7 o'clock um, with my, my guys, and we just confess sin to one another, and we, 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 we encourage one another as we look, this is what the Lord has shown me this week, and we just encourage, it's a sweet time. And I want to encourage you, if you're not part of that, that uh, there's an opportunity for you to be a part of that. So one of the ways that you can do that is grab a Connect card. If you say, hey, I'm interested in that, just check the block that says, I'd like to earn more, learn more about how I can be a part of discipleship here at Hagerstown Church. So check that block and drop it in the Connect um, Connect or the, the giving boxes in the back, and we'll reach out to you this week with some information on some D groups that you could possibly be a part of. So anyway, that's my that's the end of my shameless plug there. Um, I want to again just encourage you to it. It's been a sweet time for me, and I want that for you guys as well. Last week we looked at the uh, Jacob, the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. We looked at that at these folks there, and and we left Jacob on the border of Canaan. He's about to enter back into the promised land, and right before Jacob comes into the promised land, he has this encounter with God, and and it's a, a struggling, a, a, it's a wrestling time, um, a wrestling match, and uh, at the end of it, and in, in, in it, Jacob confesses his dependence on God. In that moment, God brought him to the place that he needed to be. And he changes his name to Israel, which is to say that he strives with God. He, he, God said, you strive with man. You fight with man. You, you fought with God. You fought with me. And he said, you've come to the end of your rope. And now that you've depended on me, he said, I'll fight for you. And so that's what Israel means. And that's where we left him off. At Joseph, or Jacob enters into the promised land. And he lives there, begins to have children. Um, he's already had quite a few by that time, actually. And Joseph is one particular guy that we're going to take a look at today. He's actually the main character of the story. So if you, if you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 39. So Genesis chapter 39. Joseph was Jacob's, or Israel's, favorite son. He was born of his favorite wife. You'll remember the issue be, that uh, Jacob had in, there in, at Laban, Laban's house. He tried to marry Rachel the first time. He ends up getting Leah at Leah. And then uh, he works another seven years, and he gets Rachel. And Jacob really loved Rachel, and, and Jacob gets a son from Rachel, and they name him Joseph. So Joseph is his favorite. Joseph, uh, this is the guy that had the coat of many colors, as you'll remember. And it was very clear that dear old dad truly, truly loved Joseph. He, he brought um, favoritism to a whole new level, you could say. And when everybody else is walking around with like, you know, earthy tones and brown and mustard and all that stuff, here's Jacob walking around with this technicolor coat, right? Just this beautiful coat and everybody, and he stuck out like a sore thumb. He was a fashionista of, of sorts, at least Jacob was, and he gave it to Joseph. And so Jacob, Joseph could not 
fit in. He, couldn't, he just stuck out. Not just because he had this coat, but because God was with him. God had blessed Joseph. And matter of fact, God had even given Joseph these dreams that said, one day, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you so much that even your father, your brothers, and your, everybody's going to bow down to you. It's going to be a really interesting thing. Joseph ponders this. He shares this dream with his brothers and his, his dad, and they become pretty, pretty frustrated, pretty angry with him. Why would this guy, why, why, why does he think he's better than us? Why, why would we bow down to him? That wasn't necessarily the, 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 the only thing, but it was the straw that broke the camel's back. They began from that moment to, de, to devise a scheme. How could they destroy Joseph? How could they get rid of this pest? How could they take care of him? The opportunity came not long uh, after this instance. The brothers are all out in the field. Joseph's come to visit. He's really come to check in on him. He's a manager of sorts reporting back to his father. They see him coming from a distance. They can't miss him with this bright coat. And they devise a plan. Let's, let's, let's take him. Let's throw him in this pit. So they rough him up a little bit. They take his coat off of him and they throw him into this pit. And then they, from there, they end up selling him into slavery. They see a band of Ishmaelites coming down the, the trail. And they say, hey, let's sell him to these guys. We can make a little bit of money. We'll tell daddy's dead. Problem, you know, problem solved. So they, they do that. They sell uh, Joseph into slavery. They take his coat and they tear it up. They didn't like it anyway, right? They were all jealous. They wanted one. They tear it up and they, they, they kill a, a lamb and they, they put the blood on there and they, they take it to their dad and they say, Dad, we're so sorry. It appears that you sent Joseph to us. And, and as he was coming out there to us, I, I, it seems like he got killed. It seemed like some kind of an animal tore him all to pieces. Joseph, gone. Jacob can't, can't find him, can't see him. He doesn't show up and he, he believes the story. He's, he's gone, he's dead. This destroys Jacob. He's crushed. This is where we pick up, though, at that point. This is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 39. And so if you've got your Bible turned there again, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. A little bit of a, it's not too long one, so bear with me. Chapter 39, verses 1 to 23. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of the Egyptian, uh, the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time that he made him overseer of the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So that he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my, fa- my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. And he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he spoke to, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And he came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. 
And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid the garment by her until her master, his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, he came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the word that his wife had spoke to him, This was the way your servant treated me? His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison in, in, place, in uh, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison said or paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. And God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? God, these truly are your words. We thank you for them. They are here for our encouragement, for our edification, for our teaching. And so we pray and lean into that this morning, that you truly would teach us. Father, we pray that you'd use me this morning, that I would use, look at your word, and through the Spirit's power would, would display Christ to the, your, your people this morning. I pray the same thing for myself. We would see Jesus clearly this morning, that we would be encouraged. And for those that are far from you, that you'd be drawn close. We pray these things with holy and, and full dependence on Christ. And in his name, amen. For what it's worth, I want to just encourage the skeptic this morning as you look at this passage. There's an interesting um, document that I came across this week. I actually didn't actually see the document, but I heard about it. And it's called the, the Brooklyn Papyrus, or the, or the Papyrus Brooklyn. And, and in that, uh, it's a really interesting uh, piece of information because it's actually a document or a log of a house actually at the time that Joseph would be, have been in Egypt. So as you look at this document, as you read through it, it actually has listed out there all the servants that were living in this particular person's house and their names and, and uh, all, this, all the things that they did. And it actually confirms several things from this passage. And I think it's just interesting. And so if you're here this morning and you say, well, I, I want to believe it, I'm struggling. I want to, I want to see what this is all about, what, what the Bible is all about. And, and you're just, you're just kind of dabbling in it and you're interested. What I want to speak to you this morning, first you're welcome. And I want to help you to see what I see. I want to help you to see the word of God. This is just an interesting piece of information, extra biblical, of course. But that document confirms several things. Uh, it, 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 it confirms the presence of Hebrews in Egypt because in that log, there are several Semitic or Hebrew names, uh, quite a few actually, almost half of them. I think there's 90 in that log. Almost, almost half of them uh, were actually Hebrew or Semitic. So that was pretty interesting. That confirms this passage that Jacob, it wasn't so odd that a Hebrew would have been sold into slavery or some, somebody from Canaan would have been brought down. It also pr proves the practice of giving Egyptian names to Hebrews and foreigners. Uh, you don't see it in this passage that we read this morning, but it, it's definitely there. If you continue to read on about Joseph's story, Joseph is given a, uh, an Egyptian name. And that's very common as well. All the, all the slaves that were in this house also had Egyptian names, whether they were Semitic or Hebrew or whatever it was. And so not only that, but it also gave them the title over the house. In this particular house, that title was given to many of those folks that were there. Actually several, I think there were three in that log over the course of maybe 50 years were listed as over the house. It's pretty interesting. That's the title that jo uh, Joseph is actually given in Potiphar's home. And so another thing that I noticed in my study, this is just continuing to stay in this vein as far as um, apologetics, but another thing that's interesting is you might think, why would Potiphar actually not kill Joseph? 
In those days, wouldn't it be more common that, that somebody of high rank and high uh, form would just go ahead and have that guy killed and, and just have him nixed and take care of that problem? Actually, it's very common in those days, in that time, to not, especially if it was a higher court. And so Joseph, put, being put in prison, might seem a little bit odd, but it's not, quite, it's not, also, it's not that odd, actually. So that's just a total side note. I want to throw that out there. And another comment I want to give you as we look at this passage and we begin to walk through it is this. This is just an encouragement for you. As you read the scriptures this week, as you read the scriptures this year, ask the Lord to show you something. Ask the Lord to to teach you from his word. Ask him to open your eyes. And as you do that, one of the questions you can ask is, just a simple question, is there anything that's repeated in this passage? Is there anything that there's a cadence to it? Oftentimes the Lord will use that to draw attention. That's a a literary device. If you look at this passage and you read through it, all, all of chapter 39, you'll see four times that it says the Lord was with Joseph. That's very important. So as you look at this passage and as we look at this time together this morning, as you hear this sermon, don't hear, hear this first, that the Lord was with Joseph. Just to help you frame this up, this, this is part of Genesis, part of the, the, the five books, the law that were given to uh, the Israelites, obviously written after the life of Joseph. Why, was, why were these written? Why, were they, why did the Lord have these written down and, and given to the Israelites and, and to us today? Well, I, I would say this. First, it's obvious the Lord wanted his people to know that doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you're going through, whether you're in a good time of your life or you're in a bad time of your life, that if you are the Lord's, he is with you. The children of Israel could hold on to that their, the, all of their days, and they needed to know that. In the good times and in the bad times, when, they were, uh, when, when David was ruling and reigning, they needed to know that the Lord was with them. And when they were in exile in Babylon, they needed to know that the Lord was with them, and he had not forgotten them. That's a truth for the Israelites, for the, the Hebrews in those days, but it's also a truth for us this morning. It's a truth for us this morning. That if you are the Lord's, it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're having, in the middle of a good season in your life, what you would consider a good season, or whether you're in what you, you, what you would consider a bad season, a season full of pain and strife, the passage is clear this morning. The, the, the application for you is this. Don't lose heart. Don't, don't lose faith. God is with you also. As you think about Joseph's life as he was in prison, as he was walking across the desert in chains, he was tempted to think, has the Lord forgotten me? He didn't see him, wasn't walking next to him. But Joseph never forgot, he never doubted, he held on to that truth. And I hope that you can as well this morning. That God is with us. So Joseph, he's sold as a slave. There at the market, he's purchased by this wealthy guy by the name of Potiphar. And his hard work is noticed by Potiphar and he is immediately promoted. Cream rises to the top, you might have heard. And Joseph rises to the top there at Potiphar's house. He does well, and then because he's, it doesn't always pay to be attractive, right? Here Joseph, he, he's, a, he's targeted. And she makes a play for him. Joseph deflects it. He does the right thing. He rejects it repeatedly only to be framed and then placed in jail. And then the only resolution, the only re- resolution of this the story that we find in this chapter is that he's recognized by the jailer as being trustworthy, and again, he's promoted. But as you look at this passage, though, you might think that your, your, your injustice alarms are probably just going crazy right now. You're thinking, this is not fair. How can this be right? 
He, he refuses Potiphar's uh, wife's advance. He, he rejects evil. He follows God's law. And as his reward, he's, he's defamed. He's put in jail. I'm sure he wasn't treated well either. It's disgusting. It's, it's totally unfair. And this is a good time for parents to say, see, kids, life's not fair. And so I, can, I don't have to get, let you play Xbox as long as the other, right? But I think there's a lesson that's deeper than this. As we ask this question, our heart asks, we say, where is God while this loyal servant endures and and suffers through this injustice? Where is he? What's he doing? Is he distracted? Is Is he absent? Where is he? And the answer is here four times. He was with Joseph. So we could just shut it down right now. We won't, right? I'm a a preacher. I'm not going to do that. But we could. We could shut it down right now and we could just pray and thank God for that truth that he is with us no matter where you are. If you are his, he is with you. So that's the main point of the story. It's loud and clear. And as we dive into this passage, though, I think there's some other pieces of information that, that, that anchor in underneath of that truth that God is with us. And I want to show those to you this morning. There's lots of interesting and helpful information here. I actually want to show you three axioms or, or, or uh, two statements together that actually don't follow and stand in contrast to one another. So I'll give three statements. Each, each of them have two uh, truths in them. So here we are. The first one is this. There's a constant temptation and a continual denial. A constant temptation and a continual denial. I hope that as your ears perk up this morning, as you as a Christian trying to walk with the Lord, you think, well, that's something I want. I face a constant temptation and I want to have a continual denial. Well, there's some information here in this text that as we walk through it, I think will be helpful for you. Another thing is this that we'll notice, and that's a perfect opportunity and a timely truth. A perfect opportunity and a timely truth. I won't steal a thunder of that part, but I want to give you a little bit of an update or a preview on that. So Joseph had the perfect opportunity to get away with whatever he wanted to get away with. And yet something held him back. It was a timely truth. As you consider ways that you should go in your life, decisions that you should make, which perception or per- perspective you should maintain. I think you'll be helped by this, by this contrast of this perfect opportunity presented to Joseph and then this timely truth that was helpful for him. And lastly, I want to show you this this morning. There is a good Joseph, but there is a better Jesus. There's a good Joseph, but there is a better Jesus. And so first this morning, let's look at a constant temptation and a continual denial. So Potiphar's wife, she's attracted to Joseph. The Bible says, not of many men, but says that this guy was good in form and in feature. This guy was hot, right? I don't know, we don't want to get derailed here this morning. I don't know who that would be compared to. Maybe Brad Pitt, he's kind of old news now. but, But this guy was attractive, and he, wasn't just, he didn't just have a pretty face. Man, he was built, had a six-pack, right? He, he went to Gold's Gym or wherever you go. He, he did that. He was a, a handsome dude. And Potiphar's wife, she notices. He's tall, dark, and handsome, if you will. And she approaches Joseph with her proposition. Joseph shuts it down. Look at what he says there. He actually has three points there, and I think they're helpful for us to look at. First, he says this in verse 8. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. And I want you to see this, that Joseph can't find it in himself to betray the confidence that Potiphar had placed in him. So there he said, I, I can't betray the confidence that Potiphar has placed in me. I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. That was his first point. He didn't want to betray him. 
placed his trust in him. Second, he says, nor has he kept anything back from me except for you. He says he's given me explicit instructions. He's drawn the lines very clear. This is what I can have. This, this is my domain. This is what I rule, and you are out of here. If I had a whiteboard this morning, I, Potiphar's wife, I'd show you what Potiphar sh- drew for me. He drew a picture with a circle, and everything that he had was in that circle, and then outside of that circle was you. He said, you're off limits. You're not mine. He says, Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, I, you're not mine. I, I, I can't disobey. It's a blatant disregard for the rule that he has given to me. And I'm not going to do it. So that was the second point. He didn't want to uh, betray him. Second one, he didn't want to disobey his master. Then the chief argument that, that Joseph is anchored into and presents to Potiphar's wife that, that day is this. He says, I think it's the most powerful. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, God is the one who had, who had found him. God is the one who had prospered him. And Joseph wants to be loyal to both his master, his earthly master, and also loyal to his God. So here in this moment, you you might have picked up on something, that Joseph knew something that David knew as well. And I think that David knew this truth because Joseph made it clear here in Genesis chapter 39. And that's this, that when we sin, when we commit sin, whether it be in private or whether it be in public, whether it be against ourselves or others that are directly involved, whether it's the sin of pornography, it's the sin against God, whether it's a sin against a spouse or a future spouse, it's actually a sin against God. Whether you've sinned against somebody in gossip, a friend, a coworker, a family member, all of these sins, while they involve others, are chiefly against God. David had had a man killed so that he could have that man's wife. It's a terrible affair. When he finally was convicted of that, he, and he confessed, he came to a place of repentance, he came to God, and he said, God, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. I think that's helpful for us this morning. It's helpful for us to see that, that when we sin, private or public, lots of people involved or just a few or just ourselves, that we really are sinning against God. This is a mic drop moment for Joseph, by the way. He, he lays out this beautiful argument, this sound argument, anchored in true theology, and he just drops the mic. And, he, and that settled it. She never bothered him again. Well, that's not true, is it? No, he didn't. That's not what happened. And so he makes a sound argument and he says no to her. But that's the problem that we face this morning, isn't it? That it's not one and done it's not you say the truth and then you move on that's not what happened for Joseph she was persistent so with Dr. Seuss determination Joseph continues to refuse her advances he says I I will not not in the dark not in the tree not in the car you let me be right he says this is not going to happen and continually continually he, he 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 denies it so I'm going to just throw this out there for you this morning. Being sold into slavery, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? It's a difficult thing for Joseph to endure. Imagine going from hero to zero. He, was, he had everything and now he had nothing. He was, every, he was number one and now he's number two. He's nothing. But all of that compared to this situation right here is Nothing. If he was to be ensnared by lust, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says it's far worse 
to be ensnared by the forbidden woman. And he's speaking uh, with a, a mind towards lust and sexual sin. He says There's, this is far more dangerous than slavery. Look at, uh, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you're taking notes, just write it down. It says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to, me, to my understanding. Solomon's speaking to his sons and he's saying, hey, listen. That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. He says, listen, for the, verse number three, for the lips of a, forbid, a forbidden woman, they drip honey. And her, smeet, her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. He says, it's far worse. It's far worse for David, or sorry, for Joseph, and David as well, and Solomon as well. Far worse that they be ensnared by the forbidden woman. Lust, sexual sin, and for them to be enslaved. So how do we avoid that danger? How do we avoid that? And it's not just men. It's men and women. All of us struggle together through this. And so this is just helpful. It's not the main point of the text, but it is helpful as we look at it. What do we do when temptation is continual? When it's always in front of us, when it's all over the place, it's ever-present, easily accessible, we must come to the biblical conclusion first that, that we'll never in this life be completely free from the presence of sin. Never. Not in this life. There'll always be opportunity. There'll always be presentations. There always will be temptations in this life. So we don't necessarily uh, look for that to be completely free. There's got to be something more. In the meantime, as we wait on the Lord, uh, uh, he's justified us. As we wait for him to completely sanctify us and to glorify us, we wait for those moments. What do we do in the meantime? Well, Don Jones, he points out three aspects from this passage. And it's not an end-all, be-all, but it's helpful as we look at Joseph's life. So he points out three things. Number one, that Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife was prompt. He doesn't even hesitate. He comes right out of the gate and says, nope, not going to happen. He's not even tempted. He doesn't even think about it for a moment. And by the way, Joseph is made out of the same stuff that you and I are made out of. An unmarried man in his 20s. Presented with an opportunity to sin against his master and against God. And it was not, you can be assured, it was not an easy thing for him to do. And yet, he had made a decision. He did it. The other day, Sarah and I, we went to go look at a piece of furniture. I'm very careful because as I walk into the furniture store and we're walking around the building, I can see the, 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 the birds of prey beginning to swarm around. They spotted us. And they're watching us as two little innocent bunny rabbits hopping through this field. They've spotted us and they're going to come and they're going to get us. And so they're looking for, they're listening, they're trying to hear anything. If you're a salesman, forgive me. But they're listening for anything. How, did she say she liked it? I think I heard her say she liked it. Now's my chance. Now I'm going to go, that's my wedge, that's my way in. I, he hesitated. Did you see that? He hesitated. There was a moment there, I've got an opportunity to slip in. And that's what the salesman, I'm not comparing salesman to the devil or the forbidden woman, but it's helpful as we see that there's this, this not, there wasn't even a crack for Potiphar's wife to get in there. He immediately says, no, it's not going to happen. If he hadn't been so quick, he might have fallen. If he hesitated for just a moment, if he hesitated, I, I'm not sure. Then they stay. Then they persist. Not Joseph. He was prompt. Another thing that Don points out is that he was firm. There was no indecision in his reply. He was not half-hearted, but he was firm and he didn't back down from that. Notice day after day it says he doesn't relent. He doesn't give up. He continues to say no. Some of us, we, we oftentimes will say half-heartedly, no, I'm not interested, and we leave that door 
open just a little bit. We almost say, no, not today, but later. Maybe, maybe later. We leave that opportunity out, not, not Joseph. Is there, any, is there anything in your life, is there an area in your life where you've left the door open? Open-ended. Maybe. Not today. Maybe another day. How many times have we made provision for the flesh? We had the opportunity to get rid of something and to, to end it all on that day and we didn't do it. Sometimes it's in our power and sometimes it's not. And Joseph, either way, was not going to leave that door open and he shuts it. He was firm. Verse number 10, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. You notice there's a progression there. Joseph says, I'm not even going to lay down with you. We're not going to chit-chat. I'm not, Joseph even says, well, I'm not even, even going to be in the house with you by myself. Until this day, obviously Joseph had, had been successful in avoiding this situation until that particular day. He's not even going to lay down with her. He's not going to make provision for the flesh. And I think that's helpful for us this morning, that we be prompt in our response, that we be firm, also that we be kind. Notice this, that Joseph was kind. As much as is possible, he treated her tenderly. He gave her a true answer. He wasn't indignant. He didn't throw things. He didn't try to scream and yell. He, he, he just shares the truth with her. He's firm, he's prompt, and he's kind. How many times have we uh, been responding to somebody with a condescending attitude? Saying almost as if we wouldn't fall into that sin. We're so much above that. We're so high above that. Joseph didn't say that. I would never do that. That's not what Joseph says here. He doesn't cite, she's not pretty enough. You're not my type. He's kind to her. Not trying to deface her. Not to tear her down. He doesn't tear her down. He doesn't lift himself up, but he lifts up God. I, I can't sin against him. So as you drive through town... You notice somebody caught in a sin maybe or you assume that they're caught in a sin that you would never be guilty of. Be careful. As you consider how you interact with a coworker, with a family member, uh, with a brother, with a sister, with a neighbor, consider yourself lest you also be tempted, the Bible says, realizing that you could fall prey to the very same sin. Realize that and be kind. Helpful observations, I think, from this story. So for the Christian this morning, as you consider this, as you think, well, how did he have this continual temptation but this constant denial? How did that take place? Well, I think the answer, again, is in the point of the entire passage, and that is this, that God was with Joseph. See, Joseph is not any better than you or I. You're not any better than the person on the street, walking down the street, that, that struggles with a dependency on some type of a, a drug or, or, or making poor choices. You're not any better than them. I heard an old preacher say, there go I, but by the grace, but for the grace of God. So there's nothing in you that makes you any better. If you are finding victory over temptation, if you're finding victory over sin, it's not because you're a better person. It's because the Lord has, is working mightily in you, that his grace is abounding in your life. And so this morning, as you look at the life of Joseph, you consider the victory that you've experienced over sin. Just take a moment and thank God that he has done this work and that his grace has been extended to you and that your marriage is still intact and that you've not struggled with this or that you've not been struggling with this. And take a moment and in kindness, pray for those around you that you know that are struggling, asking God to give the same grace that he's given to you to others. Joseph, the power that he had in defeating sin was in the presence of Christ. For the Christian here this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, 
anyone is in Christ, has the presence of Christ in them and, and us in him, then he, that same person, she, that same woman is a new creation. And that's where the power's at. And that's where the power's at. And before we move on, I want to just share this with you. It, I think it's worth mentioning that the presence of a superior oftentimes keeps a man in check. When you know that the man is watching you, Gives you that extra encouragement to do what's right, doesn't it? When you know that your work is going to be inspected, when somebody's seeing what you're doing, and you say, well, that, that just shows, that's a sign of poor character. Well, are you better than anybody else, right? We all struggle with that. So when we, have, when we know the presence of, of the man is watching us, it's easier to walk the line. And Christian, this morning, do you, do you realize as you live your life that the presence of God is always with you? Joseph had that truth as he was in, the, as he was in the, the, the jail, as he was walking through the desert, as he was in the house with that woman. He recognized this, that the truth of the matter was that God was with him there. That God saw. Perhaps one of the reasons why you struggle with sin, that you struggle with it, is because you do not practice the presence of God in your life. Realizing that he is with us. He is with us. It's been said that the greatest part of temptation was to have the, the position of Potiphar and not his wife. You see, in those days, it was possible that she, Potiphar's wife, had been tempting Joseph because she was saying this, I think you're a better man than he is. I think you're a better man than Potiphar. I think you're a better ruler than Potiphar. I think you're a better house manager than Potiphar is. And so it's very common in these days to show a sign of dominance by taking another man's wife. When, when David is run out of town, when he's run out of Jerusalem, and, and Solomon, or Absalom rather, is, 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 is running them out, he's, he's trying to run the, run the country and rule the throne, what does he do? He goes in and he takes David's wives as David's on the run. It's a sign of dominance. He's saying, this belongs to me and everything that he has. I'm going to take it all from him. He can do nothing about it. Same thing happens when Saul dies. Abner, the, to the captain of Saul's army, what does he do? He goes and he takes Saul's wives. It's a sign of dominance. I'm taking this now. This is an ancient practice, an ancient thought. Joseph would have been saying in that moment, hey, I, I could take the power here. I could possibly rule in this arena, in this area. God said I would rule. He demonstrated to me that I would have power, that, I would, that people would bow down to me. And so he says, this is the opportunity and then he says, no, no, no. It's not the opportunity. It's not time. This was not God's way. Jesus was given a similar opportunity. Satan offered Jesus the entire world if he would just bow down to him, if he would just commit one little tiny sin, if there can be one. And Satan, if he would, he would give him the entire world. Jesus didn't bow down. He, like Joseph, he would receive a throne to rule from, but not that way, not this way. And this was a lesson that Joseph had learned probably through the life of his, of his father, Jacob. What did Jacob do? Well, Jacob was supposed to get the, the father's blessing. He was supposed to get Isaac's blessing, and yet he went about it all the wrong way. He didn't wait for God's time. What did Jacob do? He manipulated, and he got it his way. He bowed down. He, he committed the sin in order to get the glory and to get the position that God had promised him, not in God's time. Abraham did the same thing, did he not? God had given him a promise. I'll, I'll give you a seed. I'll give you children as many as the sands of the sea. I'll make of you a great nation. And Abraham says, it's not happening. I don't see it, take, I don't see it happening. So what does he do? He, he, he takes Hagar as his wife. 
So Joseph had learned this lesson through his family. His refusal to sleep with her was supported by his conviction that God had called him to a special task. He'd, he'd seen evidence that, of that in his rise from slavery, in his rise in, in, even in the prison. He, he was seeing evidence of that. And the fact that he was spared and not killed in the, in, the, in the wilderness by his brothers, he had seen evidence there. He began to trust in Yahweh. He began to trust that God was not against him, but that God truly was for him and that God would fulfill the promise that he had given to him. And that's another key to this passage, trust. Notice in all these situations that Joseph had to trust in the Lord. And every single one of them, he had to demonstrate a trust. He trusted in God that he had something better for him and that he wasn't forgotten. What about you this morning? Where are you at? Is there some area in your life, maybe the whole thing, where you're saying, I, I just don't know if I can trust God. Is he good enough? I don't, I don't know if he even exists anymore. I don't know if this idea, this, this explanation of God that the Bible gives me, I don't know if it's even trustworthy anymore. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. I would encourage you to, to, like Joseph, place your trust wholly in God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that if we are truly his, that he is with us in the good times and in the bad. And that he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. So are you tempted to believe that God is not for you? Perhaps he, you think that he's forgotten you. Maybe you're tempted to think that this is your best life right now. This is what you experience. Get all that you can because you're not going to get any more. It's a common thought of the day, and it's a lie. YOLO is a lie. That's a, that's a false perspective. You don't only live once. And God has something so much greater than what we can even experience in this life, though this, in, this life is a gift from him. Joseph was saying, yes, I know that this looks bad. And truly, yes, that hurt. This was painful, and I'm in a tough place right now. But God, he's both faithful and he's willing. He is both strong and he is able this was his perspective. He saw the opportunity to do wrong. He saw the perfect opportunity to take what could have been his easily. And yet a different perspective. He knew the truth. I'm going to just share this with you. I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but I want to share this quickly. I think perhaps the greatest aspect of pain is the fear of permanence. Think about that. Perhaps the greatest aspect of pain is the fear of permanence. When, you, when a child is told, hey, you're going to get a shot this week, I, I hate it for you. You say it with a grimace on your face. You don't want to say it with a smile. You know? you, you, finally, they're getting what's coming to them. That's what you're thinking. Maybe they have to get a shot this week, or they've, they've been in an accident. Maybe they split their, their, their chin or something like that, and they're going to have to get stitches, and you think, I'm going to have to tell them that this is not going to be comfortable for them. And so they begin to ask all the questions. They, they, they fall off into a tailspin, into a panic, and they want to know all the details. How bad is it going to hurt? How long is it going to hurt? What's going to happen? They want to know all the details. And doesn't it seem more bearable when you say, even though it's going to be extremely painful, it will only last for a second? Doesn't it make it more bearable? It's just going to be a second. The nurse will say, it's just going to sting for just a moment or two, and then it'll be gone. They're liars anyway. Just kidding. That's a joke. No, no, no. But we, it, it helps us when we think, well, the, the, it's not permanent. And yet when we think of maybe the most painful thing that we can experience as humans, the loss of a loved one, what is, what's so painful about that? Well, it's not that you aren't seeing them right now. It's that you realize that this is permanent. This is long term. It's not, I can, I can see, I can go without seeing my loved one or my, my, my good friend, I can go without seeing them for a day or two. That's okay. 
I can go without seeing them for three or four years because I know that there's the opportunity, there's a chance that I can see them again and that this is not permanent. And when you realize that in your pain, in your suffering, that it is not permanent, it's so healing, it's so helpful. And Joseph, as he's arms bound together and he's marching in line in this caravan across the desert with the sun beating down on him and he's thirsty and his feet hurt, he's blistered, And he's saying this, God has promised me that this is not permanent. He's looking on past that. He said, this is hurting now. This is painful now, but it's not going to be here all the time. There's coming a day when I will be relieved of this. When he's in the washing those floors and he's working his tail off, he's encouraged by the fact that knowing that this is not permanent. This too shall pass. He's not just hoping that he'll get back to his life, but he's hoping that he, and knowing that he will fulfill the work that God has for him. And it's not this. Something better than this. As he's in that prison again, this constant roller coaster ride for Joseph. Now he's hit rock bottom again. He doesn't despair. He doesn't lose hope. His faith in God is strong. And he says, this is not permanent. So I don't know what you're going through this morning, but whatever it is, I can assure you this, if you are God's, if you're a, a child of God, whatever you're facing this morning, it's not permanent. The pain that you have this morning, it's not permanent. You can hold on a little longer. You can, you truly can. Trusting this, that he will one day wipe away all tears from our eyes. And everything that is sad, everything that's disappointing, everything that's painful will be not true anymore. It'll be false. It won't exist Pain is temporary. There's this varying contrast of perspectives here. When others would say, I work as a slave, Joseph was saying, I work for the Lord. When others were saying, I deserve this opportunity, he was saying, God has not given that to me. When others were saying, it's, it's only a sin against man, he saw it, that it was a sin against God. When others were saying, I tried and I said no the first time, it's not my fault. He was saying, I'll say no every time. And when others cried, but she's persistent, he was thinking, I bet I can run faster. When others feared that everyone is believing a lie about me, nobody believes me, everybody, my character, is, my, my reputation is destroyed and ruined, everybody else is worried about that, and Joseph knows this, that God knows the truth about him. That God knows the truth about him. Church, that should bring you encouragement this morning. No matter what you face, that God knows the truth about you. The good and the bad. And yet, he is with you. When others thought they were abandoned, Joseph knew that his God, Yahweh, was with him. So what about your life is so unbearable this morning? I don't mean to belittle that. I don't mean to say and demean that and say, well, suck it up. I don't mean to say that at all. But I want to encourage you from the truths of God's word this morning, as we see in the life of Joseph, that he is with you. So how do you view your job? How do you view your work? How do you view your limitations, your disabilities, whatever it is? Recognize this, that God is with you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and if you're not this morning, I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord this morning. Repent of your sin and faith, knowing that he will forgive you. And if you'll do that this morning, this promise is for you as well, that he is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So they robbed Joseph of his coat, This is the second time, by the way. 
Second time, they took it. He, couldn't, he can't keep his shirt on. And yet they can't take his faith. They can't take his trust in God. Finally, I want to show you one more thing. That's this paradox between a good Joseph and a better Jesus. This contrast, rather. The life of Joseph and Jesus, they have quite a few similarities, right? Um, I'll point them out to you. Joseph moves from his high position as his father's designated heir to enslavement in Egypt and then back to his exalted uh, place as a ruler of Egypt. You, you, don't, you didn't see that in the passage, but soon Joseph will be ruling only second to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. It's a beautiful picture. And Jesus the same, with a lofty position next to his father. He, he, he lowers himself to a, a lower estate and then he rises back up to that exalted place, just similar to Joseph. Uh, Jesus also, um, or specifically though, as you look at this passage, there's similarities in this, in this passage. And that's this, that God was with Joseph and God was with Jesus. Joseph was a blessing to one family and Jesus was a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Joseph really was. It says there in the beginning of this passage that Joseph, that God rather blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. So Joseph's presence there in Potiphar's house by proxy blessed Potiphar. So he was a blessing, Joseph, to one family. And here Jesus was a blessing to all the nations, all the families of the earth. And that's, a pro- that's a promise, a, a prophecy that God had spoke over Abraham and then over Isaac and then over Jacob. And now we see it being partially fulfilled here through Joseph. So there's a lot of similarities that we see here. Joseph, again, he was tempted by Potiphar's wife to take a shortcut to power. And Jesus was tempted by Satan there in the wilderness to take a shortcut to power as well. Joseph was silent when he was falsely accused. He didn't deny it. He didn't argue against it. He, let them, he knew that God knew the truth. And, Joseph, and Jesus has done the same thing. When he was falsely accused, as a lamb is silent before it shears and opens on his mouth, that was Jesus. Joseph, even though he was innocent when he was punished, uh, he, he was punished in prison and Jesus also, when he was innocent, was punished with death. So there's a lot of similarities between these two folks. Joseph is good, but I'm going to prove to you that Jesus is much, much better. For all the similarities, there are several differences, and chief among them is this. That in all that Joseph went through, the point of this passage is clear, that God never once forsook him. In his adversity, in his prosperity, that God was with him. The truth there was there for, was, was there for Israel. In their times of prosperity, in their times of adversity, that God was with them. That's not true. That cannot be said of Jesus, that God was always with them. And let me share God the Father. What's most beautiful is that, about this passage is that Jesus was forsaken by God for a moment so that we would never be forsaken by him. Consider that. For all the similarities, Joseph was never forsaken. You and I, as Christians, will never be forsaken, and yet Jesus was on our behalf, for our behalf. So we look at Joseph's life, and we can try to emulate it this morning. And if, they, if you come away from this passage thinking that, if you read this, in, or if you hear a sermon on it, and that's the point, hey, be like Joseph, that's, that's hardly the point. The point is this, that you cannot be like Joseph, and you cannot be like Jesus. And for all the times that you have said yes to Potiphar's wife, proverbially, for all the times that you've failed, for all the times that you've fallen short, you what are you going to do about those? You can't do nothing about them. Faith in Christ, as he takes our punishment, as he takes the wrath of God on the cross and is forsaken by him, so that we will never have to be forsaken ourselves. So the Lord was with Joseph in the good times and in the bad, and Jesus promised to be with us through it all. That theme, it's thread through the entirety of Scripture. 
Through the patriarchs, the Lord was with them. With Joseph, the Lord was with them. Through the nation of Israel, the Lord was with them. And to Jesus, who is Emmanuel, which means God with us, Jesus promises that he is with us always. He's with his disciples always. Jesus poured out his spirit on the church at Pentecost. All the way up to the point in Revelation chapter 21, and it says that God will dwell with his people. I want to read that beautiful passage to you as we come to a close. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Church, this morning, the temptation is for you to think that God has abandoned you. The nation of Israel, they faced it time and again. Of course we do. Paul reminds us, of, reminds us as well as the Roman church, of a powerful truth. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. Let me read that passage to you as well. It's so powerful. Paul asks the question rhetorically, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or, or danger, or sword? He says, as it is written, you, uh, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Looks grim. All these, this rhetorical question, it's not like, well, what if this happened? This is happening. And Paul says, Listen, in all of these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than that. We're greater than that through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, if that doesn't challenge you, if that doesn't encourage you, it doesn't lift you up to know There's nothing, nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God. He's not abandoned us. He's with us even in times of suffering. He's with us in our weakness. He's with us in our temptation. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is our hope. So as a fitting close this morning, I want to just say a blessing over you. Hagerstown Church, may the Lord be with you. And may the Lord bless you. Would you pray with me? God, what a truth that you would give to us this morning, that you would extend to us, that we could not only know but also enjoy. The fact that you have come to us. You've condescended to us in our lowest state. And when we were sinners against you, when we were beasts towards you, you demonstrated your love for us on the cross by sending your son. When we were far from you, you drew us close. What a truth that we experienced this morning. God, I pray that as we consider this text this morning, throughout this day, throughout this week, that we would not soon forget that you are with us and that you have blessed us. God, this morning, for those who are far from you, if there is someone here this morning that is far from you, Father, would you break their heart, spirit, would you bring them to the place of repentance where they would confess their sin and repent of it, 
and trust Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for that forgiveness, may they experience Emmanuel, the fact that God is with us. May it ever be true of Hagerstown Church that you are with us and you have blessed us. Pray these things. We need these things. We ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen.